This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 29th of July, 2010. Books, 2010. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Happy birthday, Gihan. Thank you, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm happy. I'm happy today. I've been wondering, uh, what kind of gift do we get for the man who has everything? <laughs> what makes you think I have everything? <laughs> sure you do. But it is interesting when people ask me what gifts I want. Um, I usually ask for book vouchers. Right, and I imagine in this uh, age of Web 2.0, that would be so you can buy some kind of e-book. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But quite often, what I end up doing is getting a book voucher from, say, Dimex or even some online bookstores, but to buy books rather than e-books, because I have a mixture of the two. Okay. Well, that's uh, going to be our, the subject of our top our podcast today. So let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, that's right. So, um, and we were talking, just chatting briefly beforehand, Chris, about the idea that the distinction between books and e-books is uh, is vanishing. So more and more people are thinking of books as things that they read in print or they read on their iPhone or their iPad or their Kindle or something like that. So today we're going to be talking about that whole concept of books and e-books and what's happening with the digital publishing age and things that our parents would never even have called books. So we're going to address this from two perspectives. So both whether you're a consumer or a publisher. So a consumer is somebody who's a a reader of the book. And uh, so we're going to talk about what's available and how you can read it, uh, how you can read books which you could previously only read in print, how you can read them now electronically. And also as a publisher, it's useful to know what options are available to you so that you can publish in the formats that your readers most want and and they're most using. And, And we're talking about publishers here not only as big publishing houses, but anybody who produces written material. And uh, I work with uh, information experts. I work with speakers and trainers, coaches and consultants who all want to publish. Then there are other, say, fiction authors who write the great Australian novel but don't want to get it sent to a publishing house or choose either choose not to or have tried and it hasn't been accepted and they want to be self-published. Um, and maybe even kids, Chris, maybe even Lauren, your, your daughter, might be publishing written material that she wants to make available on the internet. Good idea, yeah. She wrote a few books whilst I was away uh, a few months ago, so perhaps they can go into print. Yeah, and my my nephew Riley, who's now seven, I think by the start of last year, he's got his own little blog, so he started writing news stories and publishing pictures on a blog. So, you know, if he can do it, anyone can. Yeah. So let's start talking about perhaps what you and I both use, Chris, as as consumers, uh, and that'll give I think it'll give a pretty broad idea of what's available. Even though we're not using every e-reader on the planet, we've got a pretty good range. Um, so do you want me to start, or do you want to start? How about you kick off with yours, Kihan, and I'll yep. follow up. Okay, sure. So I have, I'm an avid reader and I've got a big library of books. Mostly they're non-fiction books, but I do have the, the occasional fiction book as well and the escapist thrillers like Robert Ludlum. Uh, that's probably the biggest collection of words that I've got in my house, uh, even given the fact that I work in the digital age and I do a lot of stuff digitally. I do have a collection of e-books, but they're mostly not what you think of as books. So if you printed them out, you probably think of them as booklets or reports. So I don't tend to have full-length books in e-book form, even though I know lots of people do. One thing I do is I read lots and lots and lots, and most of what I read on a daily basis for business, for work, is blog posts. So 
I'm sure I read hundreds of blog posts, which I read on my on my computer. Um, mostly I read them on my computer, on my laptop, which is like when I'm working. Sometimes I'll read them on my phone or on my iPad. So the iPad is the Android version of the of Apple's iPad, but we can think about it as an iPad. So when I'm when I'm in the moment uh, at work, I'll read on my laptop. When I'm, I, I transfer it then to my iPhone for the stuff that I haven't read, so that when I'm standing in line or waiting for coffees or waiting for anything, if I've got a few minutes spare, then I can just fill in that time by reading. And when I've got a, a longer section of time, like I'm uh, when I'm going on a uh, flight or if I'm taking a lunch break and I want to read in a more relaxing environment, I might read it on that on that iPad, uh, which is what a lot of people use a Kindle for. But I don't have a Kindle. I've seen other people using it. It looks really interesting. I'd be interested in trying it out. Uh, I guess the other thing, which is slightly on a tangent but probably still related, is that now lots of people are listening to audiobooks. So there's a company called audible.com, which has tens of thousands of books available, which are read and uh, read and people subscribe to it and they listen to, or what they call reading, uh, a book or two a month. Um, and I might have been interested in that, but I listen to lots and lots of podcasts. So I probably don't have the same amount of listening time as other people do. Sure. Okay. Well, my uh, collection of books, or words as you put it, it's a good way of describing it, is somewhat similar. Uh, it's at the heavy end, it's all the, uh, the books that, I, that we have, collections of both fiction and non-fiction books. I've got a small collection of e-books, but uh, probably nowhere near the number that you have, Gihan, and a bit like yours, they're, they're also predominantly reports. Um, I also read tons of blogs and news articles and Again, I'm reading them on my desktop PC, so on a, a standard computer monitor. And we've also got a, uh, a tablet PC downstairs. A con- it's an old convertible tablet PC, so it's a bit like a, a notebook that can be folded up to look like a tablet. Um, so I do a little bit of reading on that as well. Um, and like you, I've not tried one of these ebook readers yet, but a couple of my friends have used the Nook from Barnes & Noble and the Kindle from Amazon. And uh, I've heard re- really good reports on the ergonomics of these new devices for reading uh, electronic or e-books. Um, I haven't used a smartphone, uh, because I haven't got a smartphone, as it turns out, for reading um, any kind of book or document, so I think to have that enjoyment. I think that is really, uh, that's one of the things that I've discovered is one of the benefits of having a smartphone, Chris, is that it really does make a difference in terms of when you've got a few minutes free and you you just have to wait. You're waiting in line for something or you're waiting to meet somebody. Uh, in the past, it just meant that you were just waiting and twiddling your thumbs. And now just having access to stuff on your phone, which you carry around everywhere, is a big benefit. So I reckon you should get a smartphone. That's right. So when I'm twiddling my thumbs, I'm twiddling them on a smartphone. Yes. Do you want to buy a second-hand, <laughs> Do you want to buy a second-hand iPhone? <laughs> sure. <laughs> The other thing that you mentioned, which I'd forgotten about, Chris, is you said you read a lot of news articles, and I do too, and most of the news articles that I read, I read online. However, I do sometimes get the newspaper as well, and I think this is one of the things that's changing in the way that people are consuming newspapers. They're not getting them so much for the news. So when I get, say, the Sunday Times newspaper, the high-quality newspaper that comes up (laughs) in Perth, um, I get it to relax on a Sunday morning to read the sports pages, to go through some of the rubbish news that you get in there to do the crossword, and not so much for the news, because I get the news from the Sydney Morning Herald online, free, every day. 
Sure, yeah, and uh, same with us. When we buy uh, the weekend newspaper, it's to look at things like the real estate lift out, the new homes lift out, and the the TV magazine that we can keep on our coffee table when we want to flick through that and find out what uh, might be on TV, but it's not for the news so much. So, yeah, newspapers, uh, less about news these days. Yeah, and that, I think, is happening a lot, that it's just because you get the same content in a different format doesn't mean that people are consuming it the same way. And, and as we were looking through, as we were planning this podcast and how we'd put this together, we thought, well, let's look at various different devices for reading and compare the pros and cons of them. So perhaps we'll start with books, Chris. Yeah, let's start off with the familiar. So print, in other words, books. And most people are going to be familiar with books. We've been reading them since we were kids. We know how to use them. They're easy to use. Uh, simple devices. There are no technology problems with us associated with them, so you don't need batteries. Uh, the batteries aren't going to go flat. They're not noisy. They don't get hot. Uh, you don't have to worry about light reflecting off a screen and making them difficult to read. They're robust. You can just chuck them into your suitcase or your backpack. You don't have to take extra special care not to damage them. Uh, they're tangible. They're an actual thing that you can hold in your hands. They're not a collection of um, um, electrons or bits on a, a computer memory stick or something. From the point of view of a publisher, there's this perception that they're worth more than an equivalent e-book and so they can command a high price. And perhaps that's because they're associated with a tangible product. And the other thing that uh, a publisher's perspective is, is that they have uh, greater credibility that if you've published an actual book, uh, a tangible book, then you have greater credibility than just perhaps an e-book because that's something that's more accessible and easily done by most people. Yeah, and I found that with my clients, and even for myself, the fact that I've got nine published books counts for a lot, even though I've probably got 30 or 40 published e-books, that counts for nothing. But in terms of credibility as an, as an expert, as an, uh, having an author, definitely gives you credibility. So those are some of the, definitely some of the benefits of the printed book. But of course, they have their disadvantages, and people probably didn't think of these as disadvantages until other options came along. So one thing is, like you said, Chris, you can just chuck it in your backpack or your luggage, but still, they're very heavy. <laughs> like Even paperback books, if you're planning to take a, a couple of weeks' worth reading on a holiday, that can take up quite a lot of weight in your luggage, um, and especially when you compare them to e-books, because you can have thousands of e-books on a, on a Kindle or an iPad or even a laptop, and that will weigh much less than uh, a few printed books, um, then of course they do, they do have wear and tear because they, they do break down, the pages do get brown and old and uh, dog-eared and so they, they do degrade over time the other thing is that they're not as easy to use to manipulate electronically. So it's, you can't search for particular words or phrases. If you don't stick a bookmark in, it's not always easy to go back to where you were reading before. You can't mark certain things with tags and you can't share them with people either. So one of the things that, uh, one of the positives of that is of course it, it, uh, it's good for publishers because it's much harder to, to pirate a, a printed book. Uh, I think the days of standing in line at university photocopiers are long behind us. I mean, other university students, Chris. <laughs> um, but it is. It's much harder than, than with an e-book. But it also means that like, uh, when we talk about the Kindle, we might mention this, that there are um, the new version of the Kindle, I'm pretty sure it's a Kindle, allows you to share comments about the book that you're reading as you're reading it. So other people who are reading the same book, you can see what they're saying about uh, and how they've highlighted it. So you can't do that, of course, with a printed book. You can, If you buy it secondhand, you can see what other people have, have marked up, but it's quite the same thing. 
And when you're with a, with, when you've got a printed book, all you've got is a book, so you can't click through to a website or watch a video or send an email to somebody directly from the book itself, which you can do with electronic uh, books, as we'll talk about later. And so from the publishing viewpoint, you've talked about some of the benefits, Chris, but the part of the uh, like you mentioned, that you can charge a higher price for a book, a printed book, than the equivalent ebook. But it's also true that uh, when somebody's holding a book in their hand, they have a perception of how much that's worth. It's 25 or $30 for a typical book that you can buy in a bookstore, regardless of whether it's a Bible or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or a Mills and Boone classic. There's a certain limit on the price, whereas with electronic books, there isn't that perception of a standard price. So you can create... Um, even some of the booklets and reports that I've bought have been more expensive than a standard book, but I buy them based on the value rather than their size and and the perception in the in the, in the public's mind. Okay. Um, and I guess the other the other downside of printed printing a book is if you're going with a publisher, it's a slow and difficult, time-consuming process, even if you get accepted. Whereas with some of the other uh, publishing options we're going to talk about, it's much easier to do that, and you can just publish instantly. Okie dokie. Well, that, uh, that's uh, print. Shall we move on to um, e- reading ebooks on something like a laptop computer? Yeah, so let's talk about laptops first. And it's quite a good lead in from what we've just discussed because some of the disadvantages of printed books suddenly become advantages when you, when you talk about ebooks and laptops. So, laptops are reasonably familiar technology, certainly more familiar than some of the other things we're going to talk about soon. And the, one of the big advantages, especially when you're talking about business or in your professional life, is that if it's on your laptop, it's right there when you need it. You don't have to go to your library to, to find the book. It's just there, sitting there as a file on your, on your laptop. And especially in the world now where you're spending more and more time away from your office, it just means you have instant access to it when you want it. And you can have your whole library on your laptop. The laptops have got you know, pretty much virtually unlimited capacity. Obviously, they have some capacity, but when we're talking about books, which are mostly words, they're pretty small. They're not like big audio files or big video files. So you've effectively got as many books as you want on your laptop. And some of those things that we talked about earlier, about uh, books being not shareable and searchable and clickable, well, e-books are. Um, and also, if you want to buy an ebook, you don't have to worry about the postage costs, so it's a little bit cheaper to buy, but also you don't have to worry about delivery time. It's just you download it immediately and there it is. And that's one of the advantages for publishers as well. You can say, look, download this immediately and you, and you've got instant access to it, which can be the decision that makes people want to buy it rather than defer that decision. Um, for publishers, other things, uh, it's, it's really easy to publish and sell. As I said, in, in contrast with the printed book, if you go through a big publishing house, which might take 12 to 18 months, even after you get accepted, with ebooks, you just create a PDF file, upload it to your web server, set up a PayPal account so you can take the money, and set up an automatic delivery system. So as soon as people put in their credit card details and it gets approved, they get a link to download the ebook, which is a big deal, and I know that it works really well for me and for many of my clients. And I guess the last point, Chris, because I know you want to talk about some of the the downsides, but I guess the last point is coming back to what I said about printed books and the perception of price. With e-books, because there is no standard perception of price for an e-book, you can pretty much charge whatever you like um, within reason, but based on the value that you're offering. And rather than the perception that it's a 20-page e-book or it's a standard size of a paperback. 
Okay. Well, there's some of the uh, positives of uh, dealing with books on, on things like laptops. But uh, the downside is the fact that the laptop device itself can be really bulky. In fact, of the options we're going to talk about today, the laptop is going to be the most bulky. Um, and one of the problems with, that, with the ergonomics of that is that it, it can be heavy compared with a single book, so you can't kind of curl up in bed with a laptop or just uh, go into the back garden and, and read a book on your laptop as you probably can, but it's just not as easy and convenient as just grabbing your paperback and uh, taking that wherever you want to read it. Uh, some people have problem with uh, reading off laptop screens because of either glare from sunlight or uh, other ambient light. Uh, and also the, the screen itself emits light. It's not a reflective medium. It's an emissive medium, and people get a bit of eye strain problem as a result. And then you've got to worry about the battery life of uh, your laptop. It's eventually going to run out. It's going to get hot as well. So all these ergonomics issues uh, uh, count against reading on laptops. And from a publisher's perspective, because of those ergonomic problems, some people still balk at reading books or e-books on computers, and so publishers have to take that kind of thing into account. And also, it's really easy to make copies and share illegal copies of e-books. So there's a piracy problem as well that publishers have to contend with. Yeah, and you're quite, you, I'm sure that you read a lot of your stuff on laptop, Chris, because you said you don't have the iPhone or an iPad or the equivalent. How do you find it? Do you find that you do take the laptop out to your back garden to read, or do you, you always go back to the book? Yeah, when I, you know, if I want to go somewhere more comfortable than, than uh, reading in my office, then I grab a paperback or something. So, you know, most days I'm reading a paperback, so at lunchtime I'll just go into the back garden uh, if the weather's nice and read a paperback there. I won't take, uh, I won't take a laptop with me. But there is an app that I have come across called the Readable app, and the idea there is that you highlight the text that you want to read. It's good for things like newspaper, uh, online news articles or blog articles, and it re-renders it in a separate window. It takes out all the advertising and cruft around uh, the article and also renders it in a nice size, a nice font with a nice set of foreground and background colours that makes it much more readable, as the name of the app suggests. So we can provide a link to that in the notes for this particular Podcast. Yeah, and while we're on the topic, well, a similar thing that I use for reading books on my, or sorry, reading blog posts on my um, Android phone, on my smartphone, is a is an app called PaperDroid, which pretty much does the same thing. I mean, basically, what it does is I can bookmark posts, blog posts on my browser, and then it automatically synchro- synchronizes them with my phone, and has an option to take the whole blog page, exactly the way it's rendered, but also it's got an option to only capture the text. And when I found now, when reading that on the phone, it makes it so much easier to be able to read just the text, because I don't have to worry about all the junk around it, and I don't even have to worry about magnifying it, because it already puts it into that nice sort of font. Very good. Okay, well, let's move on to another device. We won't move on to smartphones yet. What we'll move on to is ebook readers such as the Kindle that um, Amazon have brought out. And there are various other contenders in the ebook reader space. There's uh, the Nook from Barnes and Noble, and there's the Reader from Sony. And there's a, a plethora of these devices that are designed specifically for reading electronic books. And they address some of the issues that I've just mentioned regarding the ergonomics of reading books on an electronic device. So one of the things that they use is this stuff called um, 
e-ink technology, electronic ink technology. So rather than the screen being a, a light-emitting device, it instead it reflects ambient light, much like when you're reading a printed page. And as a result, some of those eye strain issues that come with uh, glare from reading from a monitor go away. Um, so before we get into that, there's a couple of links that we came across in our research for this particular podcast, and one of those was the recent announcement from Amazon that their ebook sales have over- overtaken their hardback sales. So there's still some way to go before ebook sales top their, uh, their paperback sales, but nonetheless, they've eclipsed hardback sales at the Amazon bookstore. Yeah, which is interesting. I, I guess that was always going to happen, but people, I, I think we all know that hardback sales have been falling behind paperbacks for a long time. So, yeah, this is a milestone, but it's perhaps not as exciting as some people are making it out to be. Sure. It'd be interesting to see what the, the trend lines look like, so whether we've got a flat uh, sales curve or maybe a dipping sales curve even for paperbacks versus the, the sales curve for ebooks. Yeah, sure. Uh, another another recent development in the ebook space was that uh, one of the agents who represents um, some classic some some current authors of classic novels as well as the estates of some deceased authors has decided to bypass publishers altogether and go directly to um, striking deals for publishing ebooks. Uh, he claims that uh, the existing publishing contracts with publishers uh, don't cover electronic books; they only cover print, and so therefore he is free to act on his uh, on his author's behalf and strike new deals directly with um, electronic publishers. Uh, and of course, uh, the the publishing houses are a bit miffed by this, but we'll see how that goes. Have you got any comments on that one, Gihan? I think it is one of those issues that may slow things down. The whole idea of publishing rights, uh, when you start contrasting books and e-books, for example, the whole idea that an e-book can be downloaded from anywhere in the world. So typically a publisher and an author will have, um, an author will give a publisher certain rights and may restrict it to certain countries. And uh, then they would then sell those rights to some, some other publisher in another country. And some of those issues... Uh, now become much more complicated and the, the waters become much muddier when you're talking about downloading on the internet from anywhere in the world. That's my only comment about that. Okay. Uh, and the final comment was um, Jakob Nielsen is a famous usability um, usability guru. So he uh, conducts studies into the usability of various internet technologies. And recently his group uh, conducted a study into the usability of ebook readers and tablet devices like the iPad when it comes to reading uh, long narrative books. So he compared the usability of standard print books with the Kindle and the iPad, and the results showed that um, print still rules as far as readability is concerned. So uh, the, the people in his study were quicker at reading from printed books than they were when it came to reading um, on the Kindle or on the iPad. The iPad was slightly faster, but not not significantly so. Um, and also there was no difference in comprehension. So people's, when they did the comprehension studies afterwards, um, it was no different from print versus Kindle versus iPad. So that was an interesting result. I think it wasn't that much different either was it Chris I mean it was statistically significant but not in just in general terms it wasn't hugely different and you might even put it down to just the familiarity of the devices so people are used to reading books and they're not so used to reading Kindles and on Kindles and iPads so it's not necessarily saying that that will always be the case it's just that we're, we're getting used to reading on different devices now 
That's right. It was something like only 10% uh, difference in time when reading a short story. And you're right. There was a, a, a familiarisation phase as part of the study to try and overcome some of those familiarity issues. But I don't think you can compete with you know giving someone an iPad and a bit of training versus um, having had a, been reading books since they were three or four years old. So there is that that slight learning curve difference. Unless you give an iPad to a three or four year old. Well, that's going to happen. So yeah, I guess Absolutely. that can be revisited over time. And of course, there'll be improvements in the technology. So that small difference of 10% is probably going to disappear over time. All right. So how, let's have a, uh, a discussion about some of the advantages of these new generation of ebook readers, such as the Kindle. And most of these comments apply equally to the other um, offerings by Barnes and Noble. So the Nook and also Sonny's Reader. So one of the advantages is the improvement in screen quality. So this electronic ink that these e-readers use is supposedly better to read from than a standard laptop screen. They're generally cloud-based, so you can hold your library of e-books um, out in the cloud and then access them from wherever you are. They're also downloaded to your device as well, so they can be stored on the device or on a USB stick if you like, but they can also be served directly from uh, the cloud. Uh, with regards to uh, the Kindle, you can get wireless downloads that are free, at least within the US. I'm not sure whether that service is replicated elsewhere around the world with the Kindle. Um, there's also a Kindle application that's available on PC, Mac, iPhone, Blackberry, Android, you name it. So even if you don't have a Kindle device, you can still access your library of Amazon books uh, using the Kindle app for various other devices. From a publisher's perspective, uh, publishing using the Kindle format means that you can leverage all of Amazon.com. So immediately your book is offered on Amazon.com. You don't have to set up your own shopping cart and um, shop front for your book. You can make use of all the shopping services that Amazon provides. And converting your book to the Kindle format means that it's accessible practically anywhere for any device at all. So these are all big advantages as far as the publishers are concerned. Yeah, look, and I think if you look at disadvantages, the, I think the, the only really big one is that in the same way as we talked about Apple, when we were talking about Apple versus Google in that open and shut argument, the real big disadvantage is that you give over, you hand over control to Amazon.com, both as a consumer and as a publisher. So they control in a, in a way because, as you said, the the ebooks are stored in the cloud and Amazon creates a Kindle, sells a Kindle, produces the Kindle apps, so they control ownership. And there was a controversy maybe a year or two ago, Chris, I'm sure you remember this, when Amazon reached out to everybody's Kindle and deleted their copy of an ebook that they downloaded. I think it was a free ebook. I can't remember whether it was free or whether they paid a small fee for it, but certainly they they just reached out to everybody's Kindle who had it and just deleted it from the library. And I think there was some dispute with the publisher of the book, but Amazon took it on themselves to to delete that book. And ironically, the book was 1984. That's right. I think there was several of them, including 1984 and Animal Farm. And I do believe that um, there were costs associated with some of the books that were deleted, and so there was an automatic refund. Um, but the books disappeared without any um, intervention from the user entirely at Apple's con- uh, sorry Amazon's control. Yeah, and I think there was one student, I think, who even tried to sue Amazon, probably didn't get very far, but he tried to sue Amazon on the grounds that he had not only just downloaded or bought the book, but he'd also made all his notes for his class assignments because it was one of the, one of the books in, in his curriculum. Yeah. And, uh, 
yeah, he lost all that when Amazon just arbitrarily removed it. So that is, that is one of the downsides when you've got ebooks. We talked about the tangibility of printed books before. One of the downsides is ebooks aren't as tangible. If you have a hard disk crash, you might lose all your ebooks. Or if you give control over to Amazon, then they can delete them at, at their choice. And I think they've said now we're not going to do that again because they realized that after the backlash that that wasn't a good policy. Yeah. However, it is still within their control. So you can't share the books. You, um, you always worry about what Amazon's going to do with the books and give you, uh, give you access or take access away from them. And even the, even the Kindle reader itself is a, a single device, a single function device in effect, unlike a smartphone which does a lot of things now apart from making phone calls. The Kindle reader is pretty much there for reading books. I mean, it's got a dictionary attached and it's got the wireless access, but it's all there for, for just reading books, magazines or newspapers. It's a bit restrictive. And it's, yeah, and they're not cheap. They're, like you say, it's essentially a single function device that I think the price has come down recently, but it's around about $200 US now for the Kindle. Yeah, that's right. I think it has come down a little bit since then, uh, but it's still, yeah, expensive for a device you're going to carry around when you could easily carry around, well, a more expensive, say, iPad, but an iPad which does a lot more than just allows you to read books. Okay. Shall we move on to uh, another device, Gihan? Yeah, well, actually, like... Now that, now that we're talking about iPads, let's, let's talk about the smartphones first. So we're talking about the iPhones or the Google Android phones or even the Blackberries, which are smaller than the iPad or the iPad, but still, uh, they're, they're far more popular at the moment. And I, I mean, I think the biggest benefit of having, uh, of reading on your smartphone is that you always have it with you. So people carry around their phone and use it for not just making phone calls, but for reading. And so, as I said earlier, it's really great for things like when you've just got a few minutes to kill or half an hour to kill even. And the other thing about it is because it is more than just, say, the Kindle, which is just a single function device, when you're reading the book, you don't have to be thinking, oh, I'm sitting down here and I'm reading a book. So... Uh, this is something that you probably only discover once you start using it. So I've discovered there have been times, Chris, when I'm reading, say, a blog post on my phone, and I think, okay, I need, to, I need to send this to somebody else. Well, I just open up the email application on my phone and forward that blog post. Or I can click a link and open up a web page, or I can look up a word in the dictionary, or even I might be reading a blog post and think, okay, I need to talk to somebody about this. It may not be their blog post, but it's just triggered an idea for me, and I can either send them a text or actually ring them. So it actually means that I don't have to be in the reader mindset all the time when I'm reading. Because it's not really a, a, a reader, it's better for things like blog posts and short reports and things like that. But for those things, it's great. It's, it's really, really good. Uh, so that's, that's from the consumer viewpoint. From a publisher's point of view, I guess publishers and authors aren't really writing books or ebooks designed specifically for, say, the iPhone. But what they might do is that they might, you know, if you think more broadly than the idea of just, an, uh, just a book, so just words on a page, you might think about creating some sort of uh, iPhone app or even a little mini website that people can get access to the information that they need when they're out on the road. So, for example, if you're a nutrition expert, for example, and you teach people about healthy eating, what you could do is create a, create some tip sheets or hints that help people when they're out shopping. So it can be maybe how to read a food label uh, on a package or you know, how to healthy alternatives to unhealthy food choices. So in that sort of sense, they're not, they're not creating a book, 
but they're still creating valuable content that people will use when they're out on the road. So I think if you're a publisher, you should be thinking that way. If you're thinking about designing specifically for smartphones, then think about creating high-content apps or mini-websites rather than books or e-books. Yeah, that's one of the points that Jakob Nielsen included in his critique of these readers. He said uh, one of his recurring points is publish for the medium. So, uh, for example, he said that newspaper articles and magazine articles, when they're rendered on the Kindle, they basically just take the existing content and 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 smooge it around so that it, that it fits onto the screen of the Kindle. And sometimes there are... Uh, problems with what uh, ends up being rendered, and he said a better approach is to is to redesign things from the ground up, so that you've got this particular Kindle device that has a particular size screen and a particular way of navigating, and that instead the content for the Kindle should be custom built for that device. And I think the same applies here for smartphones. That you know a high content app rather than a book is perhaps a better way of providing information via the smartphone medium. Uh, than just repackaging um, an, e- an electronic book and hoping people will read it on a smartphone. Yeah, and I think that's going to be more and more true of the iPad and the iPad, and we'll, we'll get to that soon. Okay. Well, uh, a couple of other criticisms. One of the obvious ones with regard to reading on smartphones is the, the small screen that you have to deal with. And so as a consequence, you need to scroll around a bit. But you mentioned, Kihan, that PaperDroid um, app that you use tends to reduce the impact of um, of that problem by stripping out all the unnecessary stuff, getting you straight to the text so that there's less need for scrolling. Uh, and as well for publishers, if you're writing apps, then you've got to do it for multiple formats because of all the different brands and operating systems that smartphone users, s- smartphones use. So you've got the iOS for the Apple, you've got the Android platform for the various Android phones, and you've got the BlackBerry operating system as well. So because you've got this multitude of smartphone platforms, then you've got a multitude of different formats that you've got to publish to. One way around this is to create instead a, uh, a mobile website and that way then all these mobile devices can access it in the same way and using a single standards-based delivery system. Yeah, and I, I guess the biggest disadvantage that you talked about, Chris, uh, of having the very small screen is something that's fixed, and the problem is fixed on things like the iPad. And uh, I've mentioned the iPad a couple of times. It's not something that's widely available yet. I, I had to order mine from China, and uh, it's not bad. It's a little bit clunky, and I'm sure that the new versions of it will be much better. But if you, if you think about the iPad or the iPad, what we're talking about is what looks like a big, fat iPhone. And at, at the start, I was a little bit... Um, Skeptical about how valuable it would be, but actually it's turned out to be quite successful. And having seen it in action now with my iPad, I understand why just having a bigger screen does change the way that people are going to consume information, not just books, but movies and um, other information as well. But if you talk about just the books, well, it is actually quite easy to read. So it's lightweight, it's easy to carry around, much lighter than a, a laptop. It's much more versatile than a Kindle because, as we said, a Kindle is only for reading, whereas the iPad can be used for a number of things. And, and I think at the moment there's still a little bit of a novelty factor about it and a bit of snob appeal of being one of the few people who owns an iPad. And uh, so that alone will make it attractive to some people. Uh, and I think if you're a publisher then you can start thinking about publishing material like e-books that, that will be readable on an iPad or an iPad. And also, the, I'll make the same point that I made earlier, as with phones, you, you'd want to create an app 
that's uh, more interactive than a book or an e-book and is actually going to be more useful when it's portable or when it's ported. Okay. Uh, some disadvantages then, uh, compared with laptops, the iPads are restricted to whatever Apple lets through. So we've talked about Apple's uh, very uh, strict control of their platforms uh, in the past, and the same applies uh, with the iPad. Uh, that's less of a problem on the other plat- platforms, such as the Android, which is a much more open approach uh, to what can appear on the Android. Uh, Problems for publishers, well, that, that's a problem for publishers as well as consumers. And finally, these new lightweight uh, tablet devices are still fairly um, uncommon. They're, they've only just come out this year, and so they're not in widespread use, and so it's going to be some time before there's uh, a lot of them out there for people to use. Yep, I think that's right. <laughs> I think at this stage, Chris, we've actually done quite a good summary of the, the main e-readers that are that are around. Can you think of anything that we've missed in that area? No, I think that's uh, the full range of products so far. Yeah, no, I guess uh, if I was to add anything to that, the, the one thing that I would say is something that I say to clients all the time nowadays is when they start thinking about how to publish an e-book or an online course or a book or even a membership site, just say to them, look, think of it not as a single product, but think of it now as a full multimedia experience. It's We're no longer, as consumers, just happy with reading black and white words in a, in a predefined linear sequence. It's uh, people, especially when they're learning, would like to have a much more interactive experience. And I think things like Facebook have made it even so much more so. So think about other ways that you can add, uh, particularly as publishers, how you can add to just the book or the ebook experience by adding other things. And, and even things like PowerPoint. So PowerPoint used to be seen as purely as a presentation tool, as a business presentation tool, and mostly one that's not used very well. However, PowerPoint is a great publishing tool. So I have published a number of my slide presentations, which sometimes have audio behind them, and sometimes are just like mini reports or mini eBooks, but they're done in PowerPoint, and they they're quite they can be quite powerful and visually attractive and effective as well. And you might do one of those instead of writing a book or writing an eBook. Yeah, I've seen some of those, Gihan. In fact, you've turned a couple of our podcasts into those kinds of PowerPoint presentations, and they're very effective. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's now, now we're getting to the stage where if you think book or ebook, particularly as an author or a publisher, you should be thinking broader than that and thinking in terms of what sort of experience can I give to my readers. Okay, well, let's conclude with some advice for our listeners, shall we? Yep. So from the consumer's point of view, I think it's really up to you. We've given you the range of choices that you have available, and it's really a matter of, I guess, how much cash you've got available. If you want to fork out some money for one of these new um, e-ink readers, such as the, the Nook or the Kindle, then um, then perhaps it's worth investigating those and having a go and seeing what the ergonomics are like and whether they're suited to you, or perhaps doing a bit of reading on your smartphone. Most people have a smartphone these days. I'm not one of them yet. Um, and see what the smartphone is like for reading short articles or blog postings. Um, or if you've got as much cash as Gihan, fork out one of these, an iPad or perhaps an iPad, it's, uh, it's Android equivalent, um, because then you get the benefits of a device that can be used for reading electronic books as well as having other uses such as uh, browsing and consuming content on the web. 
looking at it from the publisher's point of view, well, most manuscripts these days, most book manuscripts are going to be published in electro or prepared in electronic format. So if you're going to be getting that published in print, then also generating an ebook version is particularly straightforward. You can easily publish it to PDF as well as investigate uh, publishing it for the Kindle on um, Amazon or some of the publishers that uh, also provide that route to the Kindle the Kindle format. Yep, yep, I think that's a pretty good summary, Chris. I, I remember maybe five years ago, um, and maybe even slightly more recently, and when people asked me, like, should I pub- what sort of format should I publish in, I would say, look, always, like, just use PDF because it's the most widely acceptable format. But now that Amazon's brought out its Kindle software on pretty much any device that you want, I'm really going to look seriously at the Kindle format as a, as a way of publishing, despite the disadvantages we talked about of having things under Amazon.com's control, uh, as an alternative. So you could still publish as PDF, but also as Kindle as well, so you get advantage of the, of being in the Amazon, um, you know, sphere and all those marketing advantages. Alright, Gihan, so perhaps we have an update from you uh, in a year or so's time to see how that went. Uh, before then, though, we'll get together in a couple of weeks' time and have another podcast for our listeners. Yeah, will do. Thanks very much, Chris. Speak to you then. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.